Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for this day that you've made. Thank you for setting aside the day of the Lord. One day every week where we celebrate what you've done in our lives, what you represent in your goodness towards us. And we pray, Father God, that as we gather in your house amongst your people to listen to the word of God and to worship and to celebrate, that every day you become a reality in our hearts, that we might hear your voice, that we feel your presence, and that you lead us in the way we should go, Lord. Thank you for our families. Thank you for the word that instructs us. Thank you for the Bible that is a lamp unto our feet so we not stumble. We pray, O oh God, that you open the eyes of our understanding and that we would see these things clearly. That there would be no doubt in our heart that we wouldn't second guess that you have come to bring us life and life in abundance. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place and convict the hearts of all men, women, the young, O oh God. Allow them to know God. Allow them to walk in your ways, to hear your voice to celebrate your goodness and prosper your word and your, your works amongst us, Lord, that we might know you, that we might serve you. We give you thanks for this season of celebration in Christmas. Father, the winter season where we not only acknowledge you as the light of the world, but you are the light of life. And ever since you came into our hearts and into our families, there is no more darkness. We pray that you prosper your word in our hearts, that we might grow, that we might be a blessing to others, that we might proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the world. We give you thanks for what you've done in this 2017 year, using us, Father God, as instruments in your hands. Be glorified this day, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You do well if you open up the Bible and begin to see the announcements of Jesus' coming in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. There, the announcement to Mary of what would take place. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee in that uh, region of Galilee, a city named Nazareth is still there. Um, 2007, we were able to go to Israel and see this place. I was um, 40 years old. I, I turned 40 in Jerusalem that year, 10 years ago. And we've been all over the world. We've been to Mexico. We've been to Canada. We've seen... Uh, a lot of different areas, but the, my favorite trip in the whole world was our trip to Israel. And to see that these things that started, that's where, that's where civilization started in that region. That's where Jesus walked and Abraham and the stories became alive. And there the angel appeared in verse 27 Gabriel was sent by God to a virgin. And she was promised to be married. She was engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Everything is, is in line. 
Verse 28 says that having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Everything in Mary's life had cultivated this moment. And, and there's, there's nothing better than to be a person that you know that God created you with a purpose that's beyond earthly affairs and interests, that you have been heavenly programmed. Motive of joy, God with you, blessed are you amongst women. Verse 29, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. What is this invitation? What are they inviting me into? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for God, you have found favor with God. The grace of God has come upon you. Behold, verse 31, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and call, you shall call his name Jesus. I think that, that, that these purposeful times of who we are to marry, who are we to form a family with, who are we to have as offspring. What, be intentional in partnering with God to fulfill his purpose. Um, you guys know the story Jesus is taking on a tour with Satan himself as the tour guide. And he shows them all the kingdoms of the world. And he says, if you bow down, I'll give you everything. You'll have the glory of the kingdoms of this world. How many think Satan is still in the tour guide business? How many think that he's still offering you jobs that will take you outside of the calling of God for your life? And so she was tuned in to the voice of heaven, finely tuned, and she's being announced that she would be the one single down to bring forth a son and call his name Jesus. Verse 32, the issue of the womb is nothing short than great. He will be great. You know, um, nowadays, a lot of people are destroying the fruit of the womb because they think he will be a hindrance. He will be an inconvenience. He will be a financial responsibility. Whatever the case may be, but women don't understand that the issue of the womb is great and will be called the son of the most high. This revelation happened to me at my house. We had three toddlers, age one, two, and three. Could you figure, you guys say, oh, poor Yvette. Yvette had three little toddlers, age one, two, and three. They're in their room. Two of them are on a bunk bed. We're a three-bedroom, two-bath house. Two are in a bunk bed. One is, Nick is up against the wall. Nick is three years old. Brandon's on the top, Joshua's on the bottom, and the Lord says, I want you to stop and look in that room, and I was, I was just coming home from the law practice, I, was, I wasn't a pastor at the time, and the Lord says, look into that room, and I looked in there, I said, you know, there's the Holy Spirit, what, what do you want? He says, those little toddlers are my servants, respect them, and I said, what? 
These little munchkins, your servants, respect them? Whoa. But when you have an understanding that what God puts in the womb is his, and he has purpose with it, and it's huge purpose, he will be the son of the highest, and Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. All sorts and manner of designs of celestial significance, and we are a bunch of dodo birds. We're disconnected from all this. We, we don't know. I didn't know I had three servants of God in that room. If God wouldn't have spoken to me softly, I wouldn't have changed the way I was treating them, the way I was treated, because my parents didn't know the Lord. My grandparents did not get fine-tuned to heaven. And so all these things have to take us to an understanding that God has seasons, he has times, he has places, he set people apart. There's nothing worse in the world than, than living life with humdrum, that everything is horrible, that there is no significance, there is no purpose, we're not connected to it. The devil knows it so bad, he gets us, we talked about it on Wednesday, distracted and disconnected. Why weren't the people at the manger worshiping with the three wise men? The political leaders, Herod, wanted to kill the children. The spiritual leaders, the religious leaders of that time were involved in a bunch of hypocrisy. They knew the time. They knew the place. They knew the scriptures. They knew everything. When the kings were lost, the wise men, they said he's going to be born in that little town called Bethlehem. They knew the time and the place, but they didn't go. I, I think that that is the ingredients for a perfect devil, somebody that knows the entire Bible but doesn't live any of it. Somebody that knows everything God says but says, oh, I grew up in Sunday school. I went to church my whole life. And they're disconnected and distracted by idols, by other things that are more significant, more important. And that is a travesty. Verse 33, he will have authority. He will reign. He will govern. You know what the word that is most hated in our time? It's called government. Chaos. Nobody wants government. Ask your teenage son if he wants to listen to his parents. He wants his parents to listen to him. That's called anarchy. Going against the throne. So that's what we have in our day. But it says, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That means he's still reigning today. He governs. He's king of kings and lord of lords. He was born. Nobody has a problem with the, with the swaddling clothes little baby in the manger. In, in, um, in Mexico, they call him El Niñito Jesús. And when they play the Mundial, their soccer championship, they bring out a Niñito Jesus. And everybody, he's in pampers still. This is 2,000 years later. Jesus is king of kings, sitting on his throne in heaven. And these people are like, woo! They're still playing with Jesus like if he, if he was a little babe. And he's not. He's the king of glory. His government, the, the Bible says there will be no end. Um, Many years ago, he kicked out the devil, Satan, and a third of the angels that refused to be governed. They didn't want government. 
So that now they abide in the kingdom of darkness where there's chaos and torment, torture. And so Mary wants to inquire to these things in verse 34 and says, um, her response was, how can this be since I do not know a man? I, I still have not had intimacy. I haven't had a relationship. What, how is this going to come to pass? I, I want to suggest, because some people are, are nasty in trying to say, yeah, babies aren't born without intimacy. God does whatever he feels like it. He's the author of life. And created Adam without there being any intimacy. And in his creation, he created Eve and, and Adam had not had any intimacy either. And so there's birth and there's life and there's existence. He's the same God of Genesis. Now in the New Testament, tell Mary, Mary, I'm going to put a babe inside of you. And this is not related to man or to intimacy. And so she's confused. How could this be? And he explains it to her to a certain extent. He says, um, the Holy Spirit, verse 35, will come upon you, the all-powerful spirit. That power of the most high, the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also, that the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. He will be the offspring, the issue of God himself. And so this is why I say that this is not a historical event. It's not a relic of the past. It's a reality of today. Jesus born in Bethlehem reigns forevermore. And he has something with having arrived on the scene. Why has he come? Why has he come? And when they question what is going to happen in verse 37, he says, for with God nothing will be impossible. You do well in underlining that and, and, and saying this to yourself, and I do on an everyday basis, because almost everything that God is bringing me into is an impossibility for me and for those I know and those that are around me, but for God, nothing will be impossible. Nothing will be impossible. The healing that he has for us is not impossible for him. It's a reality. The plans that he has for us are not an impossibility. Uh, we get surrounded by circumstance and situation. I remember Pastor Palma about five years ago, six years ago. He says, Pastor, in Dade County, I will never be able to own a house based on the numbers, based on the economy, based on what it costs. How many know Pastor Palma has a mansion? As a big house. And now looking to downsize because to clean a big house is a, a problem. With God, nothing's impossible. So you bank on God and you see realities come to pass. And it's his story forever. You know what Mary's conclusion is when she hears that God can do the impossible? She partners with God and says, let it be done as you have said. I want to partner with you. I want to hear and be. Look what it says, verse 39. Uh, no, verse 38. Mary said, behold, I am your maidservant. She presented herself like saying, whatever you want, let it happen. Let it be done to me according to your word. 
fulfill your plans for my life. In the last 35 years, what I've come to realize is that most miserable people on the planet Earth are those whose the will of God is not being fulfilled on their lives. The will of God does not come to pass because they neither desire it nor want it nor surrender their lives for this thing to come to pass. Uh, I, I love the fact that when Jesus comes on the scene, he has all manner of provision for mankind. Um, let's go to Malachi 3.6. I want to put that as a premise this morning, that God wants to fulfill his purpose in your life, that idols will come to distract and disconnect you, from his priority and purpose and provision. You don't want idols to be lifted up. What are idols? Idols is any that's, anything that's taking the time, the talents of your devotion. Those are the things that have a priority before God. They shouldn't. He's God. He's the one that has the game plan. If you weren't here on Wednesday, you need to listen to Wednesday's message. He says, I gave, I put you in the womb. You were born because of me. I'll see you through to your gray hair. To your old, I'm going to be there. I will carry you the whole time. But you trusted in idols. You, you started seeing things in your life that I gave you, and you rose them up, and you said, God, I can't serve you because this has my time and my attention and my devotion. And God, I'm sorry, but I'm going to bow down and sacrifice and spend my life in the significance of what doesn't see, doesn't hear, doesn't have feet or hands. And you're serving an idol and not God the creator. So he says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. That's why you're not going to be destroyed on the earth. Because I am God and I will keep you and I will sustain you. This is Old Testament. God doesn't change. In Hebrews 13.8, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and he will be forever. I've been talking to some men in the recent weeks, and I said, whatever you formulate and create will carry you for a season, but it won't carry you through to the end. You're going to need God. Sooner than later, you're going to need the one that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. What is his nature? James chapter 1, verse 17, that he wants to dispense upon you. This is, this is powerful. Every good and perfect gift. What are, what, are, what are the gifts of God? James 1.17. What is in God's time frame of giving towards your life in every season? This is what it is. It's his every good gift. And every perfect gift comes directly from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights. There's no variation. There's no doubting. And there's no shadow of turning. This, is, this, is, this wipes out fear. And it wipes out in uncertainty. And it wipes out diminishing hope. He's a good God. He gives good gifts. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was given 2,000 years ago. Since that time, he's continued. The Bible says he gave us his son. He gave us his Holy Spirit. 
He gave us his word. He gave us the body of Christ, the church. The church was a hidden entity. I, I, my parents didn't find out about the reality of the body of Christ till I was about 16 years old. I was an adolescent. And the body of Christ is a gift of God, the family of God. And so Paul describes it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What are the things that God has for you? I love the Christmas morning as we begin to unwrap the gifts that are sitting there waiting for us in the living room and just being able to see the goodness of God's love through people that are close to us. And here God has given us his son can we put 2 Corinthians 9.15 up there? Paul describes it. We're to be thankful to God for his indescribable gift. What does this mean? What does God want to download upon you as we sit here and wait? As we sit here and, and understand his goodness in our lives. Um. The ebb and flow of that spirit of God that gave Christ as a gift now is a season that we celebrate. One of the things that they were saying last night is that in the season of Christmas, the giving is not based on credit cards and, and, and acquiring debt. We're not, we're not going to make this a holiday of the devil. I want to tell you that the most of the suicides that take place are people that try to celebrate Christmas without the Spirit of God. They're trying to enter in in the flesh, in the carnal aspect instead of the Spirit of God. Uh, when I was a lawyer, when I practiced law, after the Christmas holidays, the line of divorce outside my law, I would come back in January. After the holidays, the line of divorces was like around the corner into the parking lot. I was like, why are you guys here? So we want out, out of what? Out of this nightmare of a marriage. Right after Christmas. The, the, the time where people decide that it's all over. At the peaks of the holiday season, when they try to fulfill their lust in the flesh with gifts and parties and celebrations and travel and holiday vacations, and then they come back to realize that it's all just a fantasy. Because they have rejected the gift of God in Christ Jesus. They don't understand the reality of the spirit of God. I, I love to see when Jesus Christ comes on the scene. In John chapter 4. He tells a Samaritan woman. I'm the answer of all your needs. This woman had burned out five husbands. She's on number six. And finally Jesus shows up on the scene and tells her lady quit thirsting. For that which is outside of me, I'm the one who quenches your thirst. So you never thirst again. That's powerful. John chapter 4. Verse 16. He says, go and call your husband to come over. Jesus knows where, where the issue is. Go call your husband. Tell him to come. 
Verse 17, she says, I don't have a husband. She tries to deny it. And Jesus calls her on it and says, yeah, I know you don't have a, a, a husband. You have said, well, you have no husband. Verse 18, you've had five husbands. And now you're on number six. And he's still not going to be able to satisfy your emptiness. He's not going to be able to quench your thirst. You've spoken correctly. The one you now have is not your husband. Verse 19. The woman said, I perceive that you're a prophet. You can see behind the scenes. How many think we need more prophets today? Absolutely. The people that will tell us the truth, man, because we all have this, I don't have a husband. <laughs> you don't have a husband. Thank God. You just killed five of them. So we put up all our fronts, all the arguments, you know, and Jesus sees through the lines, and thank God he does. And she says, I perceive you see farther than just what is seen. You're a prophet, verse 20. And so she gets into a religious, now she can't lose them on a natural argument. She gets into a religious argument. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You Jews say it's on that mountain. We say worship like this. You say worship like that. My religion is this. Your religion is that. We get all these, these things that are not the issue. I was talking to somebody this week. And I said, you know something? You should have come with me to Cuba to change the world. You should. You've known me for 30 years. You call yourself a Christian. And then he says, no, because in, I'm Catholic. I said, I'm not talking about Catholicism. Talking about taking Jesus to Cuba. And so Jesus is talking to this lady, and she's like, Well, you Jews have a different philosophy than us. We, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You guys see God on that mountain. Verse 21, she wants to get into religious rhetoric. Don't get into religious rhetoric. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when we will not worship on this mountain or on that mountain. Shall we worship the Father? Verse 22. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that, uh, but what we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Verse 23. You're lost in your devotion, but the hour is coming and now is when the worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth because the Father is seeking those such to worship him. If you were to... If you were to look at that word, the Father is seeking such to worship him. The, the word when the true worshipers will worship. The, the, the Greek word is prokuneos. He says, the time will come where those that truly desire to kiss the hand that blesses. Those will connect with God. Because that's, that's the bottom line of, of worship, where you acknowledge the hand of God and you actually take time out to offer to him the appreciation you have for his hand to be in your life. That's what a worshiper is. They says, we don't understand what that description is because it's a weird, prokuneos is a weird description, a weird word that's not very commonly used. But the only way that we could say its meaning is like a dog that licks the hand of his master. How many have dogs? If you have a cat, you can't feel this. But if you have a dog, he starts licking you a thousand times. And with every lick, he's saying thank you. 
Thank you for feeding me. Thank you for taking me out. Thank you for being my master. Thank you for being my Lord. Thank you for caring for me. <laughs> and it's just licking your life away. And that's proconeos. That's worship. That's what God is seeking. Those people that have that attitude. A friend of mine says, if you really want to know who your friend is, stick your dog in the trunk of your car for three weeks together with your wife. And when you open the trunk, whoever's happy to see you, that's your friend. <laughs> that wasn't me. That was a friend of mine. The dog will be wagging his tail and happy to see you. And your wife is going to go on to her next husband. Jesus is saying the father is seeking those who will lick his hand uncessantly, unceasingly to contrive the affections of appreciation and gratefulness. I thank God for, I've said it this a thousand times, but I, I raised four teenagers in this house, in this church, from the time they were toddlers, time they were born, to now they're in their 20s. They've never questioned why we come to the house of God. They've never said, Dad, let's leave. We, we spend hours upon hours in this place. We love his dwelling place. And my sons have never said, man, this is old, this is boring, let's get out of here. Uh, they know that the source of heaven's bounty is upon our life in a supernatural way. And so they love the presence of God. All three of them are serving as leaders in the house of God in their the respective groups. They come on Friday nights and they lead the youth group. They come on Saturday night, they lead the university group. They, they, they have a devotion to God. And this is what God is saying in these last days that we're to move in this direction. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 9, 15. That, that gift, the thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. To the Samaritan woman, it bestowed. That's John chapter 4. John chapter 5, there was a man who laid next to the pool of Bethsaida for 38 years. Let's read John chapter 5, verse 5. Who, who could have thought that you've, you're 38 years and you were totally disconnected from everything we've been describing here? Because our parents have been selfish, because they've been ignorant, because they've been disconnected. They've been devoting to the other idols. They've been stuck in other pursuits. They've been like the Samaritan woman trying to find her answer to quench her thirst in five husbands, now husband number six. And now chapter five, a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. Imagine your whole lifetime missing out the goodness of God. And sure enough, verse six, when Jesus sees him lying there and he knew that he already had been in that condition a long time. He figured out the guy was sitting there for a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? This is the question for our day. Do you want an answer to your crisis? Do you want a, a, a response? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. He says, look, I have all these goods. I'm a multimillionaire. I have no need of nothing. I still haven't found the answer of life. And Jesus says, leave all that and follow me. And you know what he did? The Bible says that he dropped his head and was sad because in his heart, he was attached to his possessions. 
and couldn't follow Jesus because what he had was too heavy. And so I don't know if you're grabbing onto your goods. I always say there's no problem with you having possessions, but there's a very serious problem when your possessions have you. There's no problems having things, but don't let your things have you because then they deprive you of God's purpose. He knew he had been there, and he asked him the question, do you want to be made well? We, we put ads out across Miami, save your marriage, because we believe that God has called us to save families. And so it would be an injustice to be in our town and to have the secret to heal marriages and not offer it. So finally, a lady sees the number. She writes it down. She makes sure she gets it. She calls me. She says, me and my husband are going through a divorce, a separation. I want to go and see you. I said, right now, come on, come this afternoon. So they show up in the afternoon. I describe for them God's game plan of his whole purpose for saving their marriage. The husband says, I want it. I want it. I need it. We need it. And I looked at her and I said, how about you? She goes, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't think I want to pay that price to keep my marriage. So I said to the man, if you're married to a witch, run, my friend, run. Run. How is it that God offers you everything and you're like, hmm, I don't think I, I, I want to let go of what I got going. So Jesus saw this man lying there and asked him, do you want to be made well? I think that that is the first step. In verse 7, listen to the man's response. What is the response to do you want to be made well? It's going to be a gift. You say, yes, sir. That's not what he says. The man has a situation he wants to describe. But the sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred. But while I'm coming, trying to get in, another one steps in front of me and takes my place. How many get lost in his argument? Jesus doesn't need the line. He doesn't need the pool. He doesn't need it to be stirred. He's going to do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants, right now. But we're in all the, the reasons. We're into the argument. Can't celebrate Christmas. If you were thankful for the indescribable gift of Christ, if you knew the hand of God, that's why he tells a Samaritan woman, if you only knew who's talking to you, you would ask him and he would give you rivers of living water. You will never thirst again. You won't have to go find another husband. Somebody did a preaching one time. He says that the seventh husband, this is not sound doctrine, by the way. Don't go chasing it here. But they said that Jesus became her husband, not because they got married physically, but because she began to see him as the source of her joy and her peace and her reality. She didn't have to ask some natural man to fill her unquenchable thirst because her relationship with Jesus in that worship, in that peace, fulfilled that, that thirst, that hunger. And so here this man starts getting into la polemica, the, the politics of why he's not healed. Do you want to be made well? Well, you see, it's, uh, my mother-in-law is a pain in the butt. Or, no, you don't understand uh, the economics of it. Uh, work, I have to work because I have so much bills. I have. Do you want to be made well? 
Do you want Christ to heal you? Do you want to stop with your pity party? With bringing darkness where he wants his light to shine? And look how simple Jesus. I love Jesus. Guys, I love Jesus. I love Jesus because he doesn't get into the argument. He tells the guy in verse 7, rise, take up your bed and walk. There's no line, there's no people, there's no pool stirring, there's no politics, there's no dilemma, there's no pity party. Get up and start walking. Quit establishing the forefront of your perpetual infirmity. Verse 9, immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. This is very difficult for Cubans, by the way. Because we feel the need to have to describe the dilemma of our travesty and our plight of inequality and injustice in the world. Jesus is not into pity parties. His celebration is indescribable. John chapter 9 I mean, John chapter 6, we did 4, now we did 5, now we're going into 6, and it comes to the time where he starts providing for 5,000. He does it to a woman, he does it to the man, and now he's into the multitudes. And look what it says in verse 2, then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples, Verse 5 says, he lifted up his eyes and saw a great multitude toward him. And he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And he said this to test him, verse 6. For he himself knew what he would do. This is, this is what I, I know that God is, shows up. He shows up, he shows up, he shows up. He showed up 2,000 years ago, but he continues to show up on a daily basis in the lives of those people that led him in. This he said to test them, to find out what they would do. So they start gathering their money together. And when he, they least expected, verse 10, Jesus says, tell the people to sit down. And there was much grass in that place. So the men sat down and a number of them were 5,000. Verse 11, and Jesus took the loaves and he gave thanks and distributed them to them. To those sitting down, likewise, of the fish, as much as they wanted. I, I want you to underline that because I, I continue to say that when he comes to quench your thirst, you're going to get as much as you desire, as much as satisfies your thirst. And so he starts talking to them in chapter 6. After he performs miracles, signs, and wonder, he starts talking to them about government. And he starts saying, let me have a place in your life where I start calling the shots. Guys, he heals, he satisfies, he's the indescribable gift, he bestows, he lavishes, he's over wonderful. And in chapter 6, when he tells them, are you guys ready to allow my kingdom to come and my will to be done in your life? Verse 66, it says, from that time forward. John 6, 6, 6. What a horrible number. 
chapter 6, verse 66. From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. And Jesus came in a manger. He walked upon the earth. He's, hallelujah, glory to God. He's the answer. He's healed my marriage. He healed my heart. He healed my infirmities. He woke me up. He, he, he took me. He came. Now let me be Lord in your life. Ah! You're not going to tell me what to do. You're not going to tell me where to go. You're not going to tell me how to do life. From that time, many of his disciples went back. Imagine the, the guy who's sick. He said, let me go lay down over there by the pool and act like I'm, I'm still sick. The woman says, let me go back to these deadbeat husbands that I have. Because government comes to be established in the heart of man, and we don't want any of it. We don't want any of it. So in verse 67, he turns to the 12, and he says, how about you guys? Do you also want to go away? Is your game plan only to come to get the benefits of the kingdom, the benefits of salvation, the benefits of healing, joy, peace, goodwill to all men, but you're not going to be our king. You're not going to be our Lord. You're not going to be our Savior. So this is the dilemma. I love what Peter answers, verse 38, but Peter, Simon said, Lord, where else shall we go? Only you have words of eternal life. Your flow is a continued giving of goodness towards our life. Verse 69, also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So everybody in Miami is willing to celebrate the holidays and go to Dayland and to go to the shopping strips and the commerce and to put the manger out in front. But then the issue is, will you allow the government of Jesus to come in your life? And that's why we say, I think I'll become Mormon or Buddhist or God knows what. What is the religion I could join where I could do whatever I want and still go to heaven? And that's what a lot of people are into. Let's stand this morning and I just pray that as we continue to celebrate the Christmas holidays, that the reality of what his lordship and giving in our lives is what we celebrate and not the pagan holiday where a fat little man in a red suit comes into our lives and tells us who's naughty and nice. And it's coming to town and Feliz Navidad and all the sort of rhetoric of our celebration. But Jesus is nowhere to be found. Father, thank you for this day you've made. Thank you for those that listen to this message. More than ears, may our hearts receive and welcome you, O oh Jesus, as King, as Emmanuel, as God with us. That the Holy Spirit would lead our steps and we would have intimacy. Those rivers of living water are a relationship with the Spirit of God that, that rises up to eternal life. Our hearts are risen towards heaven, towards eternity, towards a kingdom. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Father, in Jesus' name, Take the throne, O oh Jesus. Govern our lives. Dictate our seasons, our time. 
be born in our hearts and live vibrantly and reign forevermore in our families, in our marriages, in our devotion, in our worship, that we would be those dogs that lick the hand of our master perpetually, unceasingly thanking him for life, liberty, and the enjoyment of all things because of your grace and goodness, Lord. Let your light shine bright. And even as we celebrate the candlelight service on Wednesday, Lord, that we might bring someone who doesn't know you, someone who still has not understood that the light has come into the world. We pray, Father God, that we celebrate not with debt, not with anxiety, not materialism, consumerism, humanism, paganism. Allow us, oh God, to celebrate that you have come to the world. You've brought salvation to all men. Remove from us the pity party of sitting there with infirmities for 38 years and still blaming those who've stepped in the way, who cut in the line, who don't allow us to come to our own, that we might hear a voice that's stronger than situation, circumstance. Heal us, oh God. Let us rise, walk, and pursue you, Lord, and receive your government and your lordship over our lives. Perfect us, O God. Perfect our marriages. Perfect our families. That we raise up children with purpose, with providence, the abundance of all things because of your mercy and grace, Lord. Thank you for healing. Thank you, God, for salvation. Thank you for deliverance. Thank you for the word of God that reveals these truths, the spirit of God that convicts us. Allow us to be the church of Jesus Christ. Allow us to be the bride. Allow us, oh God, to be the beloved one that know you and serve you and worship you, oh God. And that we see every day your will revealed in our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.